Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as guests for this episode are... Nora. And Andy. Thanks for joining us today, Nora and Andy. Nora and Andy are friends with KJ. Nora and Andy are married. KJ, Nora, and Andy used to watch Lost together every week as the show was falling apart leading up to the finale. You may remember Andy from our Ex Machina episode. Nora also conveniently likes movies, and Andy still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz. Wait, I've just been informed that the regularly scheduled podcast format has been scrapped to settle a trivial feud between my fellow co-hosts and the esteemed guest duo regarding today's film. I guess we'll still do two rounds and see what team comes out on top. Movie rant to follow. Today's movie was suggested to us by Nick, which is me. This week, we'll be jumping into 1988 comedy romance Coming to America, directed by John Landis, who is also known for An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Animal House, and the Michael Jackson music video thriller. Other movies that would have been in theaters with Coming to America include Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big, a Fish Called Wanda, and Short Circuit 2. This movie starts off on the morning of Prince Akeem from Zamunda, uh, his birthday. And apparently that's the day where he has to get married and uh, meet his queen. He has not met her before. And Prince Akeem is a pretty thoughtful guy. And he, he doesn't really like the system. He's very forward thinking. And he somehow comes up with this plan uh, under is a little bit of a ruse from his father, just saying he wanted to see and explore the world before he got married. But his secret mission is to actually find a queen of his own. And of course, the most logical place to find a queen would be in Queens, New York City. And I think Prince Akeem said it best when he explained what he was looking for. He said, and I quote, I want a woman that will arouse my intellect as well as my loins. Uh, a lot of fun things uh, ensue. And in the end, I will spoil it. He does find his queen. Now, what's my familiarity with this movie? This is going back to, I'd have to say the college days. And, and again, we've probably talked about this in a few other movies in the past. I used to have Comedy Central just in the background all the time. And I'm pretty sure... This, along with some of my other favorite movies, mostly from the 80s, because I guess they had the rights for it uh, at the time, were from this period of my life. And the reason I specifically brought this one up right now that it came to mind was I noticed that they're creating a sequel, uh, which is coming out mid-December, so not far from now, called Coming to the Number Two America. And, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious when I have a fond memory movie and then they create a sequel, especially when it's 33 years later. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, I always liked this movie. I thought it was a nice mix of a comedy that actually had a good plot and some positive messages. It's, it seems to be a theme where I don't always sometimes I like slapstick kind of humor, but I do like a lot of these movies. There was actually a tangible plot aside from funny um, instances and great dialogue. I also realized that this was another one of those films that I have only seen the edited for TV version. I didn't realize how many movies that I really enjoy that I've actually never seen the original cut. And this goes back to a period where 
Eddie Murphy was on fire in the 80s. Another movie he had that I really liked was Trading Places from 1983. And in fact, there's a reference to that movie within this movie where Prince Akeem gives money to two homeless men, which were Randolph and Mortimer Duke from that other prior film. And in fact, uh, the listening audience may not know, but when we were doing our alpha season, Trading Places was one of the movies that we tested out this format with. And who knows, maybe one day we'll dust that one off uh, for our listening audience. Another random note before I turn it over to Tom for his initial thoughts. I just thought it was important to bring up that my wife watches Housewives, all the Housewives shows. And there was a Beverly Hills one where this one lady named Garcelle was on in this last season. And she kept bringing up her role in coming to America and how busy her schedule was filming the sequel. And of course, I couldn't remember her at all. So it turns out she was one of the rose bearers. She was like the first one that wishes him good morning in the opener. I mean, technically it's a speaking role and she was listed third in the cast list, but that was just because it was an order of appearance. So I can't imagine what her role would be 33 years later in this sequel. Uh, she must, I'm hoping, portray a completely different character, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. On that note, I'm going to turn it over to Tom. What are your initial thoughts? This is my first time seeing this movie, and, and I'm not particularly fond of it, I have to say. Um, I, I, what I do like, though, is, is Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy playing a prince seems pretty appropriate. In this film, he carries himself with this regal mean that, that is incredibly attractive and charismatic. And it's great to watch him sort of coast through this world that he, he's able to occupy, both Zamunda and then later uh, Jackson Street in, in Queens. Um, and that's really what I like about this. And our Cineo Hall, it, very young, has these huge eyes and this smile that like most of it is his gums. Um, and it's, it's another incredibly attractive, incredibly charismatic, incredibly young performance uh, uh, coming out of these actors. Or James Earl Jones, who has this huge smile and this great like lion's pelt he wears that looks natural strapped to his body. That's what I liked about about this. I, I mean, I find that the direction actually to be kind of bad, a, a little bit lazy. Um, the, the plot too, I mean, these, these characters for the most part don't develop at all. They don't use a traditional romantic comedy structure where he has to come to her and she has to come to him and they meet in the middle. Um, Eddie Murphy is sort of, or Prince Akeem, is sort of um, enters this world well-made, well-made enough. And his quest really is just to seduce this woman um, or, or to appeal to her. Seduction isn't, isn't exactly his game, to appeal to her. But other than that, we don't see a lot of character development through him. Um, and so I'd say the reason to watch this movie is just to, uh, uh, to watch a young actor who really is at the top of his game and it kind of shines through him. His celebrity shines through him. KJ, what are your thoughts? I, I agree a hundred percent there, Tom. Uh, Eddie Murphy was phenomenal in this movie. You just, you couldn't look away and, and you smiled and laughed every time he made a joke or, or was just standing there regally. Like you said, Tom, um, similar to Nick, I, I had only seen, I guess it was comedy central. That sounds right. Um, the comedy central version. And I don't think I'd ever seen the beginning. Um, it was pretty interesting. I didn't realize how much of it took place in Zumunda uh, towards the beginning there. Um, but yeah, 
I enjoyed it quite a bit. How about you, Nora? I've seen this movie about a billion times. I think a, a healthy dose of the uh, made for, the edited for television version. So I, I definitely it's it loses a little color in that version, but uh, a lot of the re- real one as well. And uh, I agree. It's just um, like Eddie Murphy top of his game so incredibly quotable and everybody in it just looks like they're having a blast like they all like the big smiles and it's like it's just like they all look like they're enjoying themselves um it's super quotable I feel like I say a lot of things from this movie all the time <laughs> and as we're watching it with Andy I realized there are even things that my brother says now that I forgot were from this movie like they just become things that he says or does that now I remembered were from this movie um, and I also, I love how much Eddie Murphy looks at the camera and like breaks the fourth wall. It's like a signature thing that I, uh, it's like one of my favorites. He just gives this look at the camera, like seriously, that is awesome. And so I, I love this movie, even I, but I, I do admit that it's more of like a, I love it. Like I like Doritos or Mac and cheese. It's not exactly like a cinematic masterpiece. It's just more like comfort food that makes me feel happy. Andy. What are your thoughts? I don't know when I saw this the first time, but um, it's one of those great kind of uh, Saturday afternoon movies, Sunday afternoon. You guys mentioned Comedy Central. I'm thinking TBS, you know, um, but you didn't get the full uh, the full version there. I, I do enjoy the unedited or what it, maybe it was rated R originally. I don't know. I'm impressed how big of a budget it seems to have had because there's a lot. There's big set pieces. There's a lot of cast, giant dance numbers. I mean, they they went all out on uh, on making a big comedy, and uh, I think they I think they did a great job. It's right. It's like eating uh, cheese curls, basically. Right. You're not in it for the the character development, but um, I laughed a lot watching it uh, again this time, and uh, I definitely enjoyed how knowing you know the whole cast is knows what they're doing and knows how ridiculous it is and how how great it is at the same time. So I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, for just the sheer entertainment value and Eddie Murphy and Eric LaSalle had a great role. I mean, um, Arsenio Hall is, is classic in it and all the, I mean, I'm sure we'll get there, but all the different characters played by, you know, the same people, it's classic. Now, of course, before we continue, we always have to ask the guests, what would be your recommended snack to enjoy while watching this specific film? And I, I, I present that to both of you. Um, so, um, honey mustard, uh, pretzel bits, I think you should eat brought to you by Snyder's Lance. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously I need to be having a milkshake from McDowell's. Oh, definitely. Wait, was it strawberry? It was the same favorite, uh, oh, yeah. favorite of Daryl. <laughs> it's time for trivial feud. Okay. I got to lay down some ground rules for our trivial feud. Okay. Here's the following rules. The starting team will continue to provide answers to each question until all acceptable answers are shared or they get two guesses wrong. If a team gets two guesses wrong on a question, the other team can steal the points by providing only one correct answer from the remaining options. If that stealing team guesses wrong, the starting team wins the points. The winner of each question will receive one point for each correct answer uncovered by either team. Andy and Nora, as the guest team, you can choose whether to start 
in round one or let the co-host team start and try to steal their points. The reverse will happen in round two. What do you want to do? Let's start. Okay. The categories to choose from are, that's easy. If there's one thing Queen's got a lot of, it's common parts. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. And my son works. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. It's time for question one. How many ways did Akeem try to get Lisa interested in him? And the way this will work is we're going to each person, one of you will start and we'll go back and forth and you continue until all the answers are selected. And I will tell you there are six potential answers here or you get two guesses wrong. So Nora, if you'd like to start. He bought her the earrings that were not from Daryl. Not from Daryl. From a secret admirer, not, not Daryl, yes. <laughs> which is awesome. By the way, uh, it turns out those were half a million dollar earrings. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that is one. There's no way that could be true. <laughs> There's no, look, look, look at those freaking things. There's no way those are half a million In the movie, <laughs> not in mm-hmm. the appraisal. <laughs> 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 but in the context of the movie, they were supposed to be half a million. Tom, are you saying that's low or high? There's some big rocks. Oh, that's man. way too high. I think he's high. thinking that's yeah, in the that's, uh, that's w- costume yeah. jewelry department. <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe like ten times. Yeah. Okay, I think Andy. We're supposed to suspend our disbelief and believe that the gems are, you know, yes, real gemstones. <laughs> Tasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Andy. He uh, has a very awkward conversation with her, um, introducing himself while mopping her floor. Yes. Yes, he does. He tries. I'm going to put that under gets the job at McDowell's. So it's all part of getting to get closer to her. So gets the job at McDowell's. Nora. He puts the giant wad of cash in the donation basket at the Black Awareness Rally. I'm actually going to give you a wrong on that one oh, because she never knew. She didn't know it was him. That it was him. What about the earrings? Then? So one next. She does Ooh. find out later about the earrings. Oh. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she finds out about the earrings. Well, yeah, she oh, ta- she takes them off in the train. Yes. I always feel like yes. they're also clip-ons, apparently, yes. based on the way that yes. she takes them off, and I feel like that's an odd thing. She does know that the earrings. five hundred thousand dollars coming. <laughs> That explains the price. No, the million dollar ones are. Million, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. Forever, whatever. But yes, unfortunately, we're going to go one wrong on that one because uh, she never knew, she never found that out. So it's going to be like that, Nick, huh? It is, unfortunately. Right. There are still four remaining options. Andy. Andy. I'm sorry. Well, he takes her on a wonderful date to an art museum that happens to uh, have Zumundian artifacts. Yes, that's the whole part. And I'm going to count that whole sequence of the date to the trying to make her a meal so that didn't work out. So they went to dinner and dancing. That whole sequence of date, we will count in that category. And that is a funny scene when his family is on the wall there. And he thought he, she, he was just uh, having some public displays of affection. Right. Nora, three remaining. On the board. Uh, stopping the robbery by Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Samuel L. Jackson playing Samuel L. Jackson yeah. in many films. Yes. He's got some crazy skills from all his training. 
Andy, we have two more. Hmm. One quizzer was quizzed and he came up with six total answers. <laughs> he uh he gets a haircut because he thinks it would look more uh I think like uh contemporary with the American people. I'm gonna give that a wrong just because we don't have a strong correlation. Um yes, that is not what the esteemed quizzer had previously denoted as the top six ways this is like what does nick think is what we're playing <laughs> <laughs> what does nick think one one quizzer what whatever conversation you have with nick wait tom you may have wanted to choose that at a different time when you're trying to steal the points <laughs> so kj and i guess tom um you have you, now you can talk amongst yourselves here because the question is over after this. But we right, there are okay. two potential ways that Akeem tried to get Lisa interested in him. So Tom, I have one idea, but you know my ideas they don't always they're not usually not correct. So if you have an idea, well yeah, we can, can we talk. Guess? Right? Can we okay. guess? The question's over. Oh, okay, so what's well, the so idea? The, the the barber tells him the way to uh, get get in with a, a woman is to get in good with her father. So he tries to impress the father. Yeah, he does go up to the father and is like, um, have you seen the basketball game? It was very good, you know, and or the football game. He tries to have a conversation about the football game. Yeah. Okay. But did so you have any other ideas? Say it. I did. I, my other idea was he goes on a date with her to the St. John's game. Or he goes on a date with her sister to be with her at the mm, St. John's That's game. risky because I don't know how much agency he had in that. So what does Nick think that Akeem thinks? Well, he does exhibit agency in talking to the father, yep. right? Yep. He does deliberately do that. I would say he deliberately goes on a date with the, the sister in order to get closer to her. But let's, let's go with, I, I have another one, uh, quote Nietzsche. I think he does that too to impress her. Um, at one time in the restaurant, he's mopping, and then he quotes about like a man has to uh, walk before he can run. Mm. But let's do what you say. Sure. So, I I think that I think he's doing that to impress okay. her, right? Because he has to get in with the dad. All right. So Nick, we're gonna go with what the barber recommended, in that impress the father to win the daughter. Are you locked in? We are locked in tries to build rapport with the father is on the Ooh. board. Ooh. So you will receive five points for this one. Five points. I've <laughs> never gotten five points before. Five points on the board. The other one, which actually, Tom, you might've got right with the Nietzsche. It was a little broader. We had charm slash intellect. So he used his charm slash intellect to try to, uh, Get her interested mm -hmm. in him. Uh, that's the only one that I didn't bring up here. I thought this would be a fun one to talk about. Akeem. Akeem is a, a Prince. Akeem is a very interesting character. He seems to have at his disposal what many would actually think they would dream of: servants and everything is done for him. But he does not seem to embrace that as one would think he would. What are your thoughts on the primary character? And you can also talk about. Eddie Murphy's portrayal of Prince Akeem. Well, it's, bo it's both the joy of the movie and the weakness of the movie is the fact that Prince Akeem is a, a person who at age 21 and at the, at the first shot of the film realizes that 
he wants to sort of go into the wilderness, so to speak, to, to live a, a real life in order to find someone who, um, who can separate him from his position. And he doesn't really, the, the character, you know, whatever, emotionally, in, in terms of his maturity, doesn't go anywhere from there, right? He, he's kind of made the discovery that he needs to make. And Eddie Murphy is, you know, d despite the fact that Eddie Murphy is maybe known for playing uh, lower born characters. Um, yeah, Eddie Murphy, the, the joy of the movie, I think, is that Eddie Murphy is able to, um, is sort of able to be the center of every room he's in, in this film. Um, and it's it's his celebrity, which sort of has a, this regal air to it, you know. And by this point, he is not only this incredible comic and actor, but he's established himself, and all of that energy is sort of centered in this guy. However, I you know I, I'm not entirely sure what discovery Akeem the character makes that would be kind of uh, uh, familiar in a romantic comedy mold. As I had mentioned before, I hadn't seen the beginning of this film. Um, and so as I was watching it, at first I'm like, oh, is this a Sid Arthur tale? And and it's not. But but it starts with the rich guy saying, oh, I want to see what it's really like. Um, but he doesn't really learn anything when he's out there. He, he sticks to his morals and his morals are already good. And it's kind of how it goes. Yeah, the, yeah, it's typically he starts with this, you know, typically people would end, right? Typically... You would think that um, I mean I mean it's dangerous to reinvent a movie in the way you want it to be, but you would think that the lesson learned is that uh, how to cope with the, the struggles of the real world, and in so doing, have that kind of intelligence to know that your position is not you, and therefore you want somebody who's attracted to you for you. That that sort of bumper sticker type type moral in it but he doesn't really have to go through that journey. He doesn't have to go through that journey emotionally. He has to go through it physically. Well, and I think that usually in stories like this, the main, that character would be the one who then upon experiencing like the rat infested apartment or whatever, like the, the stuff would be like very flustered by that or like unhappy with that. But they really use the character of Larksimius Hall's character, Simi, to be like that. So it's like they kind of, he gets out of having to be that one that's like, ew, gross, poor people, like, or being not you know taken care of all the time because he has this like foil of the whole movie that just like does that for him so like he does it's like they don't have neither of them have to go anywhere because simi doesn't like become a good person he's just still kind of materialistic <laughs> like they just like stay where they are and they're like uh you know devil and angel kind of thing meanwhile meanwhile semi would do anything to have prince akeem's position mm -hmm. he's the one who enjoys all the the treatment of royalty even though he is not royalty he is just the servant mm -hmm. I'm going to make a, a comparison between two movies that's, I'm going to posit, has never, ever been made before. Be careful. We do some crazy stuff on this show. <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit like uh, Liam Neeson and Taken. Who did not see it going there. Because basically it's like competence porn <laughs> where they just have everything and do everything. And there's no question really that they're going to be successful. You just get to watch them kind of like make their way through the world and, and take everybody out while doing it. You know, like in Taken, Liam Neeson basically has almost no trouble the entire time. He has resources. He's competent. He has like all of the, the fighting instincts and training, whatever it is. And he just, he's just basically a badass the whole movie. I was going to say he does have a specific set of skills, right? <laughs> 
He does. He does. <laughs> and so Prince Akeem is like the the royal version of that, where he's he's well educated. He has basically infinite money. At no time do you worry, kind of, for his safety. He's basically just extremely well mannered and competent. But also like able to navigate the other half, like the other, like the unfamiliar territory magically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's unflustered and you just get to watch him kind of like take care of things. And it would be kind of a shame if he were. It would be a shame to watch Eddie Murphy in this role get flustered. It would be a shame for him to be anything other than princely. Yeah. And yeah. so I think the 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 problem I have with the movie is also contributes to the strength of the performance. Which is well, I'd, I'd like to see these characters develop, and do something new. I really don't want to see Eddie Murphy uh, in this role degraded in any way. Yeah, I, I think that's almost a different movie. And and again, we I think we're all agreeing this isn't necessarily a cinematic masterpiece. I lean in the camp of this is just a very enjoyable movie to watch, and Eddie Murphy is amazing. Uh, one of the things going to that point of him not being flustered and, and how he presents himself and he's always on point, there is the scene where Semi uh, revamps the apartment and he's with Lisa and she, he, won't, he doesn't want to go in because of all the changes, he's supposed to be poor. And then she says something to the effect like, you're only not letting me in because you're embarrassed of the appearance of your apartment. And he says, once again, you are correct. But he was embarrassed that it looked so good, <laughs> not that it was poor. So I just thought that was a, a pr pretty good understanding of how Prince Akeem operates. Yeah. One um, type of movie that I, well, movie or show, plot device, that I have a particular problem with is when the main character, and especially between the love interests, there's a giant lie at the beginning and the lie persists and you know it's looming. and at the end it's going to blow up and create like one of the biggest conflicts in the movie that typically happens but everybody feels betrayed you know frequently when the when the lie comes out and this is part of this is one of those kind of movies but i don't have as much of a problem with it in this case for two reasons um one is that for his ends which are kind of ethical ends he has to lie there's no way to achieve it the separation where he knows that someone loves him for who he is and not his money without the deceit to begin with. So it's, it's unfortunate, but it's necessary in a lot of ways, but yet, and just as you said with, he says, you're right. It is my, it is the appearance. He manages to not lie very much. He just kind of doesn't, he's not very specific sometimes, but he, he it's like, he doesn't want to lie. He doesn't, he doesn't want to deceive as more than he has to. So I enjoy that slight variant on the, the big lie plot device. You know, the one thing is he by the end of the movie, he's still going to marry the original uh, wife that he didn't want to marry. I mean, he might be settling for it or something, but throughout his whole adventure and everything, by the end, uh, until the veil is lifted, he he thinks he's failed. I mean, he has failed it and he's compromising his principles of finding an intellectual. So in a lot of ways, that's the only time he kind of he wasn't flustered, but that's when he fails. Yeah, he, he fails to reach his, it seems like he's going, he has failed to reach his goal. Especially from his perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, he does have this responsibility to this, to, I keep calling it Wakanda. <laughs> what is this place? Zamunda. Is this called again? Zamunda. Zamunda, thank you. <laughs> he it's does not, have this it's kind not of, King T'Challa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does have this responsibility to this, 
this culture, right? He is trapped in his way. You know, this is the, this is the theme of movies about people with privilege, right? Who go into the real world. Marie Antoinette, where we just explored. Yes, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> trapped by their privilege, and that comes with the, the privilege is awarded in uh, it is awarded for a responsibility. You have a responsibility to fulfill. That in movies with people with great privilege, we see that the the privilege itself is compensation for something. And very often, a lot of these movies are about having to test the boundary of that, uh, the, the boundary of that responsibility and negotiating the boundary of that responsibility. And with um, with kind of romantic comedies, there, there may be a little bit more conservative. They tend to le- lean on the side of you have to still embrace the responsibility, albeit with some slight alterations. You know, you marry who you want, not who's picked. But there's still that conflict. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Back to Nora and Andy. Would you like, that's easy. If there's one thing Queen's got a lot of, it's common parts or my son works. And it's like, uh, my son works. I could do a better James Earl Jones. I didn't even try to do no, that. I will never do justice. My son works. <laughs> my, my son works. Now my let's... son works. Now try Luke, I am your father. <laughs> Akeem, I never told you what happened. It's time for question two. What are the four categories of common tasks the royalty of Zamunda are prohibited from doing? Wiping their own behind after using the bathroom. Yes, I'm going to put that under the bathing section. Bathing. Okay. okay. So all categories of personal hygiene are yeah, under that, just to clarify. There were like four categories a... mentioned in the movie. It wasn't explicitly said these are the four categories, but there was a sentence that included four categories. Well, I feel like one one hint is in the name of the this uh, this uh, question category. Oh, I guess works working. That was not one of the ones mentioned. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> excellent advice. <laughs> Wonder, wonderful. Marrying a common woman. Okay, these are true, but these are not the categories of common tasks. Common tasks. So that's going to be too wrong. I'm going to move it over to. KJ and Tom. Oh, uh, KJ, do you know what it is? Well, I mean, to me, you can't choose who you're going to marry. Well, I mean, that's not a common task. Common apparently. task. I, I would say tying shoes. That that that. There's a joke about tying shoes, so. oh, but I don't know if that's one of the things listed. I don't remember him listing anything. Yeah, I'm surprised by this too, but because hmm. I usually t- take note of lists or numbers, and th- this has got me befuddled. So when he's eating, when he's eating with his parents, mm-hmm. what does he do that appalls his parents? He comes over and sits by them, but that seems okay. But doesn't he do one other thing that's... Well, he, I mean, he comes over to his parents because he looks sad. So they, they call him on the phone, right? The, the intercom. <laughs> yeah. He comes over, they mention, oh, you have a mustache now. And, and she says, it's been a year. And, um, you know, he there's different things. Like I'm 21, I, I would like to you know, um, tie my shoes. And he goes, tie your shoes. I, I've tied my shoes once. Trust me, that's no great, <laughs> no great thing. Um, then he dismisses the rose petal throwers. Oh, so maybe you can't walk on. But 
that's not a common t- like walking oh. on rose petals or no no, no but walking on ground is common but he can dismiss the rose petalers it's fine but that was like a big deal but it wasn't that big a deal he's like oh you don't like he misunder james earl jones's character misunderstands he thinks it's this one thing that annoys him and so he dismisses the rose petalers okay okay and- um, I'm I want to say tying the shoes is a common task, but I don't know if that's that is a specific task in a category. Do we want to broaden it up dressing himself, similar how bathing was broadened up from? Um, you we wiping? could do that, sure. Want to roll those dice? Let's roll them. All right, go for it, Dom. Um, we're gonna say dressing himself. Locked in. Sure. Locked in. Dressing was one of the things that they are not able to do. So there was a line where he's talking about the lifestyle he lives and he go, he explains what they can't do. And he says, cooking, pampering, dressing, bathing. Well, I kind of like the bathing. (laughs) So Hmm. he's going through what they cannot do. Uh, So the two points will go to your team, but I wanted to talk about, Again, you brought up some other lines there. The idea of living in royalty and how it's presented in this film. Ridiculous, awesome, amazing. Where are we going with this one? Well, his subjects, like the kingdom seems pretty well to do, at least the view of, uh, of the elite strata of society that we see at the wedding and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the country is beset by a lot of poverty or anything that, that they've talked about at all. They also don't show really literally anything um, that the uh, royal family is responsible for. And I, I think I, later in the, in the film, he talks about being a goat herder. And he says, well, the goats pretty much take care of themselves, which leaves a lot of time for reading um, to explain his education. But I feel like he's talking about his actual subjects. Um, in this case. So it's, uh, I mean, James Earl Jones, the same voice in The Lion King as the, as the king talking to a prince, you know, does mention a lot of responsibility for the, for the domain that's like set before him. They have, they have nothing about that in this movie. It's like, they're just, they're just royalty. I also have an interesting bit of trivia to go along with that trivia. The queen is actually the same actress as the queen in this movie, in The Lion King. So, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mind blown, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, they're, they're wealthy the way Arthur from that film is wealthy, right? The, the, the idea isn't, uh, isn't so much the burden of responsibility that's placed upon him. Other, you know, even though the wedding does, is a responsibility, you know, the reason why, he's given this woman to marry and he really has given her is that she will satisfy all his needs, right? It's, it's really still focused on Prince Akeem and on the Royal family. It isn't like a, a marriage to, you know, like when, when an English prince marries a French princess, right? It's, it's not a marriage to stop a war. It's just to convenience him. And that's how Arthur lives from, from that film with, you know, was it Dudley Moore? Uh, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, he's, um, the idea of the privilege is to be isolating and alienating and the the, the human story here is escape the to trying to escape alienation in this case it's alienation via privilege you know 
in other movies it might be some other type of thing but that's why i think responsibility is not is not given to him because that's almost it's almost too recognizable KJ, you might be proud of me on this one because I have a little headcanon on, on the movie. I, I was trying to come up with a backstory of how they accrued such amazing wealth. And, and here's what I have. I think Zumunda is very rich in natural resources. And uh, maybe there's some gold deposits. Maybe it's just other things. But I think that's where they got all their money. Could be. Maybe we'll find out uh, whenever they release uh, Coming to America. <laughs> But quite possibly Botswana, I think, is all diamonds, right? So, could be. I'm thinking natural resources, some kind of natural resource. Botswana is the has the greatest increase in economic growth of any country, I think, in the last 20 years. It's outpacing China. So, maybe that's it. Maybe it's all diamonds. It sure isn't their crown making skills. Because, did anyone (laughs) else notice that like the crown that the king wears and a key wears look like they were like made in a kindergarten classroom? The same place. No, same place where those earrings were made. Yeah. (laughs) I I hated the decor. It's like Pepto Bismo pink, right? The whole the whole palace. It's, a, it's such yes. a classic product of the eighties. I mean, yeah. so eighties. You're looking at this. this oh, look at that eighties pastels. That's classic. Yeah. It's like Florida too. The the you know the potential princess that ha- you know that, that. Oh yeah. Yeah, that eighties hair like the spouting out of the yeah. 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 Oh God, I know. Actually, in this movie, the kingdom of uh, Zamunda looks like a much nicer place to live than New York. Yeah, New York's right, like, a, a, a dirty mm-hmm. cesspool. Uh, Zamunda looks fantastic. Yeah, we never get outside the palace too far, right? Right. That's a true story. <laughs> yeah, that's why even when Andy was saying before, I'm like, I don't know if it's all that way or if it is. We just didn't see it unaddressed. There, no, there are some like, uh, what is it, Cutter? Like they're actually a very wealthy country because they share the oil profits with the whole country. So I don't know if they. It's like that where everyone. Oh, is Qatar. Wealthy. Guitar, yeah. Um, so I don't know if if that's the same case here, but maybe we will find out in the sequel. Lots of questions, answer. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's the only reason we have the sequel is to understand the na- the the national economy of Zamunda. Yeah, to confirm <laughs> your head cannon. There you go. It's about time. I mean, KJ, your reason. I want to get in on the fun with that. So, okay, we have one more question for round one. Back to Nora and Andy. And that's the one that's easy. If there's one thing Queen's got a lot of, it's common parts. It's time for question three. What brought Prince Akeem and Semi to New York, specifically Queens? There are three items on the board. Well, when they talk about going to America, they, they have the globe and they say, look at all this space. Where could we possibly go? And he says, New York or L.A.? which I think is just like kind of throwing a bone to movies are always set there. I, I mean, I, so how many answers are there to this? These are, There's there three, are three, but I'm waiting to hear what Andy's answer was. We already know that they picked New York. Well, they uh, basically, they pick between the two cities and, and then he looks and he sees Queens and they've got to go to Queens to find the queen. Okay, I'm going to lead the witness here. How did they pick between the two cities? Oh, coin flip. Yes. Oh, yeah. Coin flip. I needed the specifics. Okay. Yes. Yes. Nice. Yes. 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 Okay. With the I'm gonna, head on it. Yes. I'm going to give that to you because, yeah, they did everything you said was right. But the actual reason they ended up in New York was because of the heads on the coin flip. Um, yes. So we have two others. 
Why? What brought them to Queens? What brought them to Queens? Like because it's Queens and they're looking for a queen. That is the correct answer. He's looking for a wife. Okay. There is one the third one. Or... Because they say uh, he starts off with going to America. Because first they have to narrow it down to what country. Am I at all? Well, this um, is true. This is part of the process. And he, uh, I forget why he says that they pick America. Oh, there's a line about like, I think it's modern woman in a white something. But I can't think of anything else about their decision to pick. I feel like this whole question revolves around approximately two minutes of the movie. <laughs> you're not you're not far off, and it may not even be two minutes. <laughs> I'm gonna give well, a, a big X on that one, but you still, Andy, you have one more uh, guess to see if you can find the third reason they end up in Queens. Well, I was gonna talk about how they ended up exactly where they ended up in Queens. But I don't think that's the right uh, way to go, given the way you're phrasing the question. Yeah, so I, I'm with Nora here that they, they have a conversation where they talk about finding the right kind of woman. Um, the, a woman that's educated. Um, what, was, what was the quote that you threw out earlier? That can satisfy his uh, brain and his loins or something oh, like that. <laughs> intellect. Yeah. <laughs> intellect and um, loins. And that where to find a woman like that would be in America. Okay. It's not on the board. I'm going to flip it over to Tom and KJ for the steal. You know what it is? No, this is ridiculous. This, I think Nora and Andy said everything. You think it's the common parts thing in the cab? No. Which way do you think Nick's going? It's, it's, it's what they're doing in that room in Zumunda. Whatever the what's the name of the place? You said it right. I think I said it right. Okay, so yeah. I, I only can think of Wakanda. Um, I, I think what it is is they say something about America more broadly. Like we want to go. Th this is the place where like women are free. I thought. What about when he's talking to his potential queen? Does he say anything in there? He he just sort of asks her different things she likes, right? What do you like? What do you, will you jump up like an orangutan and then bark like a dog? Yeah, bark like a dog. And and but it's not it's not. Uh, and then she leaves while jumping up like an orangutan. So I don't think it's that. I think it's what happens in that room with the globe. And they spin to America, and he says something about why America. Then then Ooh. Arsenio, you know it. Let's game the game, spinning the globe. But that's not why he picks America. I. Okay, I just. It isn't why he picked. It isn't like let's. What is it? Why Nick thinks they picked? <laughs> I, I don't. We pulled one quizzer, and he came up with. I do it. feel like KJ is taking this away by basically just knowing Nick. <laughs> no, Tom usually wins in that in that yeah. uh, subjective <laughs> category for some crazy reason. But he like he he says something about it. like I, I don't understand the logic of your your point. I he think just frustrated. I, I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. <laughs> but I would say he says something about America. Like America is, it's it's actually like a, you know, like a, like you know, kind of pro-America statement. Um, okay. All right. It's something like America is is the land of the free or something like that. Like in America, and you know, women are. The... Yeah, women are free. <laughs> in America. Women are free. Like that's so we're gonna go. Thing. We're gonna go with a pro-America. That's our answer. We're locking in with. 
I, I got nothing else. We did the coin flip. We did queens because queen, you know. Yeah, and globe because it spins. All right, let's go. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna go to America because with... the globe spins. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. Wait, wait, wait. All right. Um. So our official answer, um, is they said something about pro America and, and about like freedom with women. <laughs> women with freedom i think is where yeah, going. yeah 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 <laughs> it's america's this this great country where people let's are lo- free. let's lump it all into globe spinny pro-america freedom with women and the points go to nora and andy <laughs> i will tell you what the third one was and i actually think it is important it's not just in in nick's head in that critical sequence, and Nora, you weren't too far off. All of this information was disclosed in a pretty sh- short window. He says America, everything Tom was saying, but that's not why they specifically ended up in New York versus LA. You had it correct with the coin flip. It was heads. But before that, and I think this is a critical point to the whole movie, like the whole movie, let fate decide. Fate. Fate is how they ended up in Queens. Wait, and how did I, it's like I don't a get coin it. flip and let fate decide? Isn't the, isn't fate the, the coin same flip? thing? I, you know what? There were I three answers on the board. <laughs> and Nora, <laughs> you got the points. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't argue with it yet. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it's three again. Just like in any feud variant not all the answers are the best answer they are just an answer so fate let, uh, letting fate decide was something that he said and if you look at this movie whether we like it or not I, I i would pose that they were saying that all of this was fate that these series of events were going to happen he was going to find his queen and be happy and live happily ever after of course What's great about this show is I bring this to everyone to see if they agree or would like to refute and provide evidence to either. Was this fate? Well, that, that's sort of how romantic comedies work, and how you know, even if you go back to Shakespeare, the the conflict in Shakespearean comedies is that it, it just sort of evaporates. You get to Act Five, and it's like, well, the evil duke who kicked out the people we like. Um, he met a hermit and that hermit told him that what he was doing was bad. So now he's going to let everybody in and you guys get married. It's just the, the conflict evaporates. Um, and so it gives a sense of inevitability for the couple. And if you don't, if you don't have this sense that this couple is inevitably bound together, then the romantic comedy is sort of walking on stilts. It, it's not going to work. And so, you know, successful romantic comedies do have this kind of, sense of fate and a sense that the the conflict itself is just paper thin it's the paper tiger that sequence that happened in this movie that i think directly exemplifies what you're saying there is at the end when king what what is it I joffrey jaffa joffrey jaffa joffrey jaffa 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 so when King Jaffa Jaffer is sitting with the queen in the limo in, in New York and he's, she's saying, why can't he go after him? And the king is saying, it's tradition. And she's saying, aren't you the king? So there's that quick moment where what was forbidden all of a sudden is not forbidden. Although, KJ, you thought he failed until the bitter end, until that veil lifted up. So where do you, where do you uh, chime in on this? 
he he failed himself, right? His principles. But if we follow this romantic comedy right before the coin toss thing, it's fate she showed up there, right? Like that that was also kind of surprising that she showed up. I, I was. Were you surprised? Were you? I, not in the <laughs> 80s romantic comedy. But... She's just going to marry this woman from the original sequence. That was a really big joke. <laughs> She's still jumping <laughs> like, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been a terrible ending, but it would have been something to talk about. <laughs> we would have been talking about it all. Actually, we yeah. probably wouldn't have selected this movie <laughs> if that was the ending. I have a concern in my head canon. That woman is still jumping on one leg and she perished that way. She she starved to death because she had to keep doing what the, the prince told her to do. Doesn't she end up with Sami? At the end, don't you see like Sami kind of moving in on her? That's no, a that's, 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 that a, that's a, a bather. Oh, it's no. a bather. Okay. No, she's not the bather. Mom's, the mom's person. Yeah, she's, she's like, like, oh, like in yeah. A, uh, she actually has no speaking role. <laughs> in the movie she is just her job is to like wear crazy big headbands yes. and like yeah it's official big, it's in the resume sleeve things that's her job exposed well, midriff of course yeah. yes <laughs> in the realm of uh fate and and kind of serendipity the whole meet cute uh is caused by the the barber like they they're, they're going to all these bars and they find all these uh women that are very incompatible including Arsenio Hall is a woman who's fantastic. <laughs> That's I love that. I love that part. But uh, but then they go back and the barber's there and they say, no, ooh, we can't can't find any good women. He says, you're looking in the wrong place. You got to go to a nice place like church and they, or this or this rally. And they send he sends them to the rally. And that is quite the rally. I was going to say holier than now. <laughs> The children of future. I love it to call it fate though. Like they go a bunch of places. They're like specifically looking for a woman for him to marry. Go to many places and find the wrong person. And then eventually keep looking and looking until they find someone. Like that doesn't feel like fate. Like fate would be like if he wasn't really looking and he like ran into her on the sidewalk or like happened to go to the restaurant or something. Like he's literally like on a hunt. And then eventually <laughs> on the hunt finds the thing he was looking for. It's not like look at this i found this thing i was looking for whilst looking for it very hard well tom <laughs> i think that's some of your challenges with this movie right yeah I, I mean so if you look at you know my model for like romantic comedy is is it happened one night where it's you have opposites who are thrown into a conflict they don't particularly like each other and over time they learn to forgive each other's faults and actually discover they have a passion for one another and I, I think you're, you know, right, Nora, absolutely, that, you know, this guy is looking for exactly this. He's spending oodles of money doing it, and he succeeds in doing it. No. But uh, yeah, this is, this is not... <laughs> the old rich guy gets exactly what he wants in the yeah. end. <laughs> By spending lots of money and time that he has. Oh, he consulted a local social expert on where yeah. to go. Oh, surprise. Yeah. Yeah, well, but I, I think even if we, we don't use the word faint, what you need is when you see this woman who, you know, who he's courting, whose name is, what is it again? Lisa. Lisa, Lisa McDowell. Lisa, okay. When you, when you see Lisa and you see them together and you hear Lisa speak, Lisa is distinct from every other woman in this, in this movie and her sister acts as a foil to further accentuate the fact that she's different from every other woman in this movie. There's a sense that these people have to be together. They're just the two most char charismatic members of their 
respective sex. And so there's sort of, it's inevitable they have to be together. Um, I, you know, wouldn't call it fate in the grander scheme of things, considering, you know, he is, uh, he, he is on this mission, but. And I guess we'll find out in the sequel, do we think they're going to do well together? We don't even know what the sequel's about, so. Well, and then forget. I, I, the no spoilers, I haven't couple? been, I have been looking to see either, yeah. No, I, neither have I, but do we think they work well as a couple? Were we rooting for them? Did we want Akeem and Lisa to get together? I felt like their courtship was uh, was admirable. I mean, in the the, sh- the brief courtship that they had, they they're both um, really giving people and and working, you know, generous, working towards bettering the people that don't have as the privileges that they have. Because because she's really privileged too. She's like royalty of Queens, New York, in in a way. So we think she's running Zumunda now, like really well, and then misses Queens and wants to go back. Like, I'm just trying to imagine what the actual, what did it look like the next few years after the wedding? AJ, I think you can get all these answers on December 18th. (laughs) (laughs) We are hardcore plugging this sequel. (laughs) (laughs) We're not even getting kickbacks. (laughs) Click on our affiliate link. (laughs) Well, um, I think this was an interesting round one. The points as it stands are seven points to the co-host team and two points for the guest team. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Talking Pictures Trivia Theater presents a screaming lapel pin production. The Jane of My Youth. A coming-of-age story of young love. Read by me. Tom. Chapter 6. The Regurgitating Phoenix. Michael felt himself being dragged downward by the collar of his shirt. He tried to struggle, but Riley's grip was iron. His feet slapped the stairs of the stone theater. He leaned his head back to see Jane. She had removed the welder's mask and was now staring down at him, her eyes blank and black. The man with the white hair also had removed his welder's mask and watched as Riley pulled Michael into the center of the room. Dr. Marbosa, what shall I do with him? The white-haired man replied, I don't know yet. The project is almost complete. We just need to acquire the final product. Once we have that, his peeping won't amount to a hill of beans. For then... The passageway will be open. Have you acquired the final product? Not yet. No, sir, Riley replied. On the table, the machine began to glow. A sound emanated out from it, and Michael could feel the room shake. Jane, turn it off. It's not yet ready. Jane, without blinking, went to the back of the room and yanked downward on a giant switch. The room stilled. The noise stopped. The sound died. Good, my pet, Mabusa said. Now, help fasten our young guests on to the chair. I think he may serve as a witness to the beginning of the end. She went towards a number of tools that had been left to the side of the giant switchboard. As Riley held him down, she tied one of his arms to the chair and handed Riley the other rope. As Riley worked, Michael's new gift fell from his pocket and spilled out onto the floor. Jane leaned down, very slowly, 
and with the tips of her red nails grasped and raised the item. Dr. Mabosa! He turned, alarmed at the sound in her voice. He looked down and saw what she saw, and his face blanched. Is that? I think it is. He shot forward with possessed, angular movements. He took the object in his hand. It is it, the final product, screaming the pelpins, regurgitating phoenix. Without a word, Jane went back to the lever and pulled. The machine glowed, and Dr. Mabusa approached and placed the pin on top of the box. A horrible scream echoed through the room as the phoenix head began to yell. Above them, in the middle of the air, a small rip appeared, hovering in the center of the world, and began to take the form of a circle. At the circle's lip, Michael could make out what appeared to be small white hands curling their fingers over the reality of the medical theater. This has been a Talking Pictures Theater presentation of a Screaming Lapel Pin production, The Jane of My Youth, a coming-of-age story of young love. This week, Screaming Lapel Pin has on sale the Bibbling Eye-Eye. Pick one up wherever screaming lapel pins are sold. And we're back for round two. This time, KJ and Tom get to lead with the questions. And the categories are, there's a very fine line between love and nausea. I tied my own shoes once. It is an overrated experience. And we seek meager accommodations. Uh, well, we're going to do them all, right? So um, we seek meager accommodations. It's time for question four. Semi takes it upon himself to fix up apartment 5D, even though Akeem is supposed to be a poor man. What are the updates and renovations Semi made? Uh, so let's do the, the, what do you call it, a whirlpool? Um, a jacuzzi, right? That's the term. <laughs> right? We're going to lock in jacuzzi? Yeah, we're locking jacuzzi. Yeah. So hot tub, mm-hmm. jacuzzi, whatever, that yeah, whatever is definitely... Called. One of the, oh, I should have said there are five potential answers on the board. Uh, the TV, the big screen TV, I'll even call it. That will go under new electronics slash stereo. Yes. How specific do we have to be with the furniture? I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> um, I, I wanted to say just new furnishings. Um, I would but, say you'd have to be more specific. Okay. Oh, what what do they get that's new? Do they get a new chair? KJ, come. <laughs> you're, you're not responding at all. I'm talking well, about <laughs> Nor and Andy didn't take a time to. No, technically, to you should pop yeah. what, like one one out of test. So that like Tom did the hop. Oh, hop cage. So oh, so it's on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So it's on you. Um, do you have another one, KJ? I do. You do, but no, I know. But oh, I'm, okay, okay. I'm I'm negotiating. Oh, you want to risk it? You want to risk it? Yeah. You you do have another one. I I do. You have two okay. guesses that you I'm have. going to say the Empire State Building thing statue. Glowing statue of the Empire State Building 
is on the list. I love how new electronics is like an entire category, (laughs) but glowing empire (laughs) is its own answer. It stood out. You're an interesting interesting bird. (laughs) It stood out. Uh, Which makes me nervous about mine. I was going to just go with lighting in general, all the neon lights. Yes, and I I actually put laser slash neon lights. There was some funky lighting going on there. We still have one more potential, and you guys have two guesses at this still. Okay. KJ, do you know what it is? I have a guess. It's got to be a furnishing thing, right? It's a piece of furniture. Is it a chair? We don't see the bed. It's Tom's turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. We can still talk it out, right? Not really in this round. Only the, oh, no. the, the <laughs> when you're stealing. The stealings can talk about it. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Um, I'm gonna go with cozy chair, lazy boy, lazy boy chair, kind of thing. Cozy chair. One wrong, KJ. What do you got? Yeah. Oh man, I got two in my head. Um, ah. Uh, so the, the two in my head, Tom, are either the painted walls. I feel don't like forget, they get a guess too. If they, mm-hmm. they, yeah, well, that's why you don't want to talk not. about it. Well, <laughs> right, but we do. Um, <laughs> or, or the carpet, right? The flooring also got an upgrade. Now mm-hmm. Nick was a painter back in the day, so he would have noticed the painting. But I'm going to go with the updated floor and be so bold as to say there was a carpet down there. I don't think there was. What's your what are you locking in? Locking in the flooring. New paint slash floors. There was no carpet, so I'm glad you didn't lock that in. <laughs> Woo! New so, yes. paint slash floors. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> like the whole paint is, <laughs> paint is on walls. There was the whole decor. The yeah, paint, no, no, the flooring. One Empire State Building. <laughs> and then the walls on the floor. Oh, are all them, yeah. killing well, technically they're killing you because they just got five <laughs> points. <laughs> By the way, there was a lot of Zamundian mm. artwork. Oh, I, and a framed and employee of the month a bed. picture. And a fr- right, a flame. And they did see the bed because Semi and the sister were on the bed, and it was a sweet '80s waterbed. These are all valid. These are all sweet valid. But in the scene bed. where we go in and they just show the apartment, those are all the things yeah. you see. Maybe we should have pulled more than the quizzer to get. <laughs> <laughs> I brought this one up, not just for this sequence, but a little bit of to talk about how they actually could live and how they are living. Um, Semi's approach versus Akeem's approach. Just anything to do with how they're showing the difference between uh, how the rich live and those who are poor. Well, I, I like the um, uh, character of the uh, super for the building. He's a... Uh... He's an interesting one. Um, he obviously doesn't care too much for uh, taking care of his like residence uh, situations. Um, and it's a really cool hot tub. I mean, I want to say that exposed uh, exposed piping hot tub. I've never seen such a thing. It seems but, like a uh, hazard. I, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> but I like I when they like... needed more poor accommodations that he's like, well, I'll switch with my place. They're like, well, you know, is my it- place. It's a real. <laughs> um, I, I the the other thing that the movie did is they showed us a few other examples of um different classes. So of course you had Zam- the Zamunda Palace, um, but you also had uh, 
Mr. McDowell's house. So that was a middle class spot. Yeah. Well, upper middle yeah. class. Yeah. 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 Especially, I don't know how far outside of New York was he? Right? Like, that's. We have Definitely seemed like a suburban home of some type, perhaps. Right? I know but where like... he lived, but it might come up in future conversations. So I. I <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It, his, his address is in there because he tells the uh, king where to come and get a keem. Oh, that is true. Um, so it was it was interesting the way they showed the different classes. And then, of course, one of the things they did is Mr. McDowell is fairly uppity and kind of insults people who he thinks are beneath him. Um, and then when the king shows up, he gets really mad when the king kind of dismisses him. So I, I don't know how well they did that, but they did do that. I, I found that character to be a little annoying, though he kind of redeems himself by reflecting using the money for the inconvenience that he's he suffered at the end. Um, in, in terms of class stuff, there's this idea of a nobility and poverty type thing that's going on here that um, if you can, you know, live like a like a normie, so to speak, then, you know, you can gain some sort of knowledge of your essentials. Like if you could strip yourself of the, the accoutrements of the world, then you can you know, find your kind of essential personhood or something like that. Um, I think, again, I mean, we've brought this up, this point up a number of times, that that sort of rings hollow here because he doesn't really learn anything. He just finds what he wants. Um, and he's also not particularly stripped of his poverty, right? It's, it's a performance of poverty or a performance of, of struggle. Um, so, you know, instead, what it seems more like is is a sort of frog prince story. Kiss the kiss the frog, and it becomes a prince, as opposed to, um, you know, as opposed to kind of having to be forced to go into the wilderness and survive. He already has the characteristics he needs to survive. He actually outshines everyone else. So uh, I think that that seems to be more the genre, the the way this movie works. I also find this an interesting how they do reference hierarchy and class structure, not only in Zamunda, but in the U.S. So Cleo McDowell is effectively the king of his own castle. In fact, his home almost is castle-like for suburbia. And then the other part of it is Daryl and Daryl's family. They're the ones who have a successful business and Daryl's kind of the one who just got lucky and born into the right family. Just how Akeem got lucky and born into the right family. However, they handle it completely different. So I actually enjoyed those elements of this movie and how there was almost different you know, class structures even within their communities. And the fact of, and Tom, you mentioned this point where the king tries to buy off Cleo and he has none of it, even there, in, in a very rude comment, he's pretty much says, your daughter is beneath my son. Even there, I thought that was an interesting dynamic of who is acceptable. Yeah, he he is very much invested in this kind of upward mobility attitude. I mean, he's very much, the, the you know, the kind of, um, you know, this like Torquevillian American, right? And, and this movie is invested in that idea of America as this this center of up and comers um and he sort of embodies that and we even see with the, the minor characters like louis anderson's character also describes mm -hmm. himself in terms <laughs> few of more years. <laughs> yeah, a few more years and it's it's both silly but it reflects what 
people in this world are attempting to do. And we dislike Daryl, the boyfriend of our, our female lead at the beginning of the film, um, because he, you know, he's born to, a, into, to privilege, but doesn't really, he hasn't earned it and he doesn't manage it. And so that that main character, the, the main, um, the, the father of our main female character, he sort of stands in for what this country does differently from other countries, right? Which is, is kind of a, a sponsor class mobility, which is why it's, uh, you know, him meeting a prince is sort of absurd because the the social system from which they're coming doesn't permit any kind of class mobility. That just made me think of the part when he says, when I say he's got his own money, he's got his own money in his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's running the fed <laughs> now, i was just gonna say that i i do think that it, it's interesting there's a part where he talks about the dad talks about how the reason why he wants her to be with somebody rich is because he doesn't want her to struggle which i feel like is also like a I, he seems he's kind of like a dislikable character but there are a couple moments where like and that's one of them where i feel he actually seems like a real dad like where it's not coming from like a, i'm just you know social climbery it's just like I was poor and I don't want that for you uh kind of vibe to it and then also obviously like when he the minute the king starts saying bad things about his daughter and then he's like you're dead to me kind of thing it's like otherwise he's not really like I there are a couple other moments where he's like pushing Daryl on her and he's like he's rich and he's good to you he's not good to her he's a total dick (laughs) And I'm like, if you really cared about your daughter, you wouldn't want her to be with this guy. But like, then these other moments of like, at least he has some like, oh, you are actually a parent. Daryl has no positive character traits displayed in this movie. He is the solo prince. <laughs> yeah. The only good part about Daryl is the moment when he's make, about to make out with her sister and he breaks the fourth wall. The yes. Best. When he like gives a look at the camera, like... <laughs> Yeah, I, my only positive Daryl moment. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, like, I, I think upward striving is not looked down upon, right? And I, I think what he is, um, well, we don't like the the father. The scenes. I, I mean, my problem with the father was I think the acting was kind of hammy. But uh, in terms of the actual character, do you think that was by design? I'm sorry to interrupt you. There, yeah, it's a yeah. yeah. I mean, he's trying to overplay it, but he's not. You know what I mean? When you see like Eddie Murphy and Arsenal Hall do do kind of um over-the-top performances it's it's very enjoyable with him it was kind of like there was there was a lot um like tiresome yeah exactly thank you it was very tiresome uh but i think with him you know like you like you said nora he just wants a better life for his daughter he wants a better life for for the people around him and for himself and while um that might make him a little bit of a, a handshaker and a backslapper when he refuses um, money because it won't benefit his daughter, we realize that the, you know his upward striving, his upward mobility is—it's—it's um, it's a good thing. It's not something that the movie has kind of condescension towards. Well, it shows that he did—he ha- has some limits to his essentially like dad level of gold digging. Before that, it was really—I. I, think his he's the most distasteful character actually more than um uh eric lasalle eric lasalle is just clueless you know he's born into the soul glow fortune and what is you know he, he doesn't really know any better he's not exactly maybe a great person but he doesn't seem really evil 
but the naked kind of gold digging of the dad I found to be quite a, a negative thing. But then, it, you know, later he, it shows that he does have limits. There, there is some uh, ethical background where he says, you know, basically there's, well, pride maybe, which could be a bad thing too, but um, self-respect and respect for his daughters. I mean, he's the single dad, right? His, his, the mom is gone. And so he's, he's leading his daughters through the world. And um, at least uh, they're, they're worth more than money in the end. Yeah, I would say the dad might be the only person with an actual character arc. I think everybody else is, like, starts and ends Tricky. in like the exact same spot. Yeah, there is growth. Like, there is growth. Like, he's, Tricky. Like, he's like the only person that you end up liking or disliking. Any like he's the only change. I think you have a very good point there. <laughs> there is some character development. Okay. Minimal. Minimal. Minimal is the gate. <laughs> But that's all we're asking for here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to the next question. It is either there is a very fine line between love and nausea. And I tied in my own shoes once. It is an overrated experience. What do you think, KJ? Yeah, go for it, Tom. I think I know what you'll pick. I, I, I think love and nausea. Okay. Rachel wouldn't let me pick that one. Uh, no, I feel like there's a vomit guy reference in there somewhere, Andy, by the way. <laughs> It's time for question five. The queen to be, Princess Imani Izzy, was raised to do whatever Prince Akeem tells her to do. What are the four requests Akeem asked her to perform? Yeah, I'd say bark like a dog. Bark like a dog. KJ. Hop on one leg. Hop on one leg. Act like an orangutan. Orangutan. Back to you, KJ. Oh man, what's the last one? Um, Neil? No. One wrong. Tom. Oh, uh, tell him everything that she likes. That is not what we're going for here. There yeah. are four specific requests. I feel like we might have a steal here, but um. Oh, they know what it is. Whatever. Nora and Andy. Maybe. Well, I think I know, I know what. Well, we we can discuss what, it, what right? Thing is. But I don't know if it was Nick thinks it is. That's true. This one, this one is pretty straightforward. Yeah. He, he says bark like a dog, and then she starts going arf, arf, but then he says like a big dog. And he changes it. So bark like a big dog, I think, is another one. Mm -hmm. You're then locked I don't in my psyche. You're locked in. <laughs> I'm locked in. Okay. No, no, Dear no, no, God, no. it was time. Yeah. No, no, this was this one was wait, pretty. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So yeah. That that could it could be that, but the other thing that he says is he orders her he orders her to disagree with him, which she refuses to do. Oh, mm -hmm. well, which one would you like to lock in? I think we should go with the one that he said I was locked in. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, you you pick. like a big dog. I thought that was the lock in, so that is correct. Nice. Uh, that one is super straightforward. There's literally four requests when he's like, so you're gonna have to do. Whatever I tell you to do. And those were the four requests. Yes, it went from arf, arf to woof, woof. So you will receive the four points for that one. So is there a, 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 a very fine line between love and nausea? This was a quote that the queen said uh, when she was referring to how she was arranged with the king. Right, and, and they came to love each other. The, and, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, I, I have an, a big issue with who whose job was it to she's almost like a concubine in a way like whose job was it to 
create her training program because they did a terrible job. Like if you knew Prince Akeem at all, you should like go on a meta level and know that what he wants is someone that does have a personality. Whatever you, whatever you like. Like that's not what he wants. Whatever you like. like were they not paying attention? This is not a person that's made for him. This is a person that's made for for uh, like a, a, a figurehead of him, you know? I think this was a person who was made for every one of the blank slate kings that came before. Yeah. And they just followed that same, dare yeah. I say, recipe <laughs> of this is how, I mean, I mean, even in, in the United States, they had finishing schools and this is how it was to be a lady. They probably had the same thing. This is what it is to be a queen. But the know? queen seems much more intelligent than that. And she's not afraid to disagree with her husband. Maybe that evolved over time. But Tom, when you're talking before about, about Lisa being different than every other female character, that the, of the character that's the closest to Lisa, I think is the actual queen in terms of having, having agency and having uh, you know, her own will. And They're also both able to counter the patriarch. Right. Right, they're both able to stand up to the patriarch by, um, you know, they have the position to. They're, in, they're in both in positions of power vis-a-vis -vis the patriarch. And they're also both able to make changes to the patriarch's uh, plan for continuation. In the case of McDowell, marry his daughter to Daryl so that she could have even more money. Right? He's so worried she's going to struggle. And, you know, with um, the queen, uh, yeah, and she's able to counter that. Uh, Lisa's able to say no. And then the king obviously wants a kind of replication of what he's gone through. And she's able to tell him that you as the embodiment of the tradition can stop the tradition. And so you see those two figures, Lisa and the queen kind of shine through because they're the ones who can make changes. It's really the like the men who can't the men are sort of locked into their their systems is there any other part in the movie where love nauseates somebody does anybody else struggle with either falling in love i can think of one i i, I can think of the courting scene in the ball yes that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> going through all those characters yeah. but was that love so maybe is that the fine line that she was talking about? I, I think the idea, what, what she's talking, well, he says it, right? There's a fine line between love and nausea. The I think queen he, says it, actually. Oh, the queen says it. Okay. Queen says it. Well, no, the queen says she was nauseous. And he's the one who says, see, what we yeah, learned what here is there's a fine line between love and nausea. And she looks at him as if to be like, that's yeah. what you got from that time. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he... Yeah, I, I think the queen and the king's relationship, yeah, like you, you guys were saying, it grows over time or you get this idea of, you know, like love is something that that can happen o over a period of years. Um, but I, I don't know if any, is anybody else nauseated by love? I mean, it seems like Eddie, Mer uh, uh, Prince Akeem is nauseated by Lisa's sister who attempts to uh, uh, provide him manual stimulation simulation at the St. John's game. It doesn't that doesn't impress him too much. <laughs> okay. The last category and there may be a bonus question. But first, we must know the question for I tied my own shoes once. It is an overrated experience. It's time for question 6. The director John Landis is known for his characters occasionally breaking the fourth wall. 
What are the occurrences of this in the film? There are four on so many the board, <laughs> and I know, so maybe you're in, in, in line for the steal. There's a secret one that we nobody mentioned yet. Well, mm -hmm. I have four on the board, so we'll see. And I got this from a source, so. Um, okay, I'm just going to go with the ones that have already been said. Um, uh, the Prince of the Soul Glow looks back um, after uh, going through the window of um, Lisa's sister. Yes, Daryl was with the wet clothes, and Patrice was upset that he that Lisa broke up with him and told him he has to get off his wet clothes. Yes. Uh, I, God, I don't remember any of them. I know we discussed them too. Um, I, I think is it Arsenio Hall? Um, no, somebody somebody shrugs at the camera out of frustration. Uh, that's all four, right? We got them. No, I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work it out. Uh, there were eyes that looked directly at the camera. Yeah. Oh God. I think Eddie Eddie Murphy does it at one point. When somebody says something and he, he kind of looks at the camera and shrugs. Um are you thinking of trading places? I'm gonna go with oh God. I'm gonna go with our 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 Cineo Hall at the end of the movie when he's like with the the cupbearer kind of looks at the camera um smirkingly. He smirks, but that wasn't a fourth wall break. It wasn't okay. Uh, no. KJ, um, I'm gonna risk it all on uh, on the Duke brothers. I'm gonna call that a fourth wall break. I mean, it's got to be because I mean, unless they're in the same universe as uh, Trading Places, but either way, right? It's for the audience. Wall goes down. They didn't necessarily look at us or anything, but the the joke was to. Are you trying to convince me for or against? <laughs> This is this is this is why I do so well on this show. Points wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna assume that's your answer. <laughs> and no, they did not look at the camera. And theoretically, this movie is posing that it's in the same universe. So yeah. I'd like to point out, points wise, it would have made more sense for Tom and I just to take two X's because then Nora and Andy could have only gotten one point. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Do we have to get the rest to win the points, or do we just have to get one right? There's a bonus point. Oh. The great equalizer. There's, I mean, a bonus question is the great equalizer here. So, uh, well, no, but you're Wait, also sorry, assuming you're not going to get the answer, KJ. No, he was saying that uh, the question is, if to steal it, do we have to complete the set of four? No, or you just not? Need to get one to steal. KJ saying to maximize your points, right? Because they only get as many points as we listed, right? Yeah, but you're also making the assumption that they know. So we're. We're going to turn it over to Andy and Nora. What is one? I'm totally blanking and I'm oh. feeling really terrible. About oh, it. I know yeah. one. Okay, good. And I, Cause uh, I'm totally blanking. On and it. I hope Nick knew this one because it's for sure Wait, real. Let's discuss though, before Nick starts to tell you that you're right or wrong. Okay. When, when this like... one wasn't Nick just counting, there was a resource that explained. Okay. okay perfect. Because because when they're like messing around and all the crazy stuff is happening, the dog definitely breaks the fourth wall. Wait, what? In? No. It is a hundred percent true, but but it's not the most straightforward one. Do you know a more straightforward one that involves a human? I I know Eddie Murphy and and uh, and Arsenio Hall both do it, but I just can't remember exactly when they do it. 
this that's it, I'm having the same moment that Tom was. It's like I can visualize Eddie Murphy doing it, and yet I like can't think of the exact scene. Was Eddie Murphy's one having to do with the bathers or the or the the uh, the toilet wiping? I feel like it might have happened during the talk with his dad, but I I don't know. We can go with the dog one. I feel like none of these are specific enough to be like we know the exact line that he said. This is gonna burn me because it's like one of my favorite things, but I can't think of the exact thing. Was it when the dad, when, when the king was saying that, he was like, I always assumed you had sex with your bathers. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quality moment. Actually, another quality moment is he when he explains that he remembers just the other day he ordered someone to change his diapers. And now yeah. he's a man. <laughs> you ordered your first diaper change. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, were we locking in? I know the dog one. Okay, we'll we'll go with I'm I'm behind you. The dog broke the fourth wall while at, at the at um McDowell's house when like there's the crazy people going in and out and the king and the, the Akeem leaves and it's like it's like a mess and uh and and everyone's like what's going on and then the dog's like for the audience at home Andy just looked at the screen breaking our fourth wall I guess um <laughs> in his best dog like stare. It was a very good dog like stare. Very good dog like stare. Well, what I will say is that Andy is correct. Yes. Um, there was, and I had a Patrice slash dog because yeah. it actually I think happens in the same sequence where Patrice actually does a, why does she get all the good ones at the camera? And immediately the dog also stares at the camera after she says that. So that mm -hmm. is one. There was another one where Akeem was, when he was asking the bride to bark like a dog, he gives yes. Her, he it's gives, in the uh, yeah in the room. The other one is a like I, I didn't visually remember. I just saw it, it where Akeem and Semi are talking on the ledge of the apartment, and Semi looks at the camera. That one I didn't visually know as much. I'm sure in the movie I could find it. When is that? Right when they first like moved in. Um, yeah, they were out on like the balcony on like the yeah. Fire when they're out on the ledge, and he looks at the camera with such meager accommodations. It's before they, it's when they went, went up and their luggage was still outside. And then everybody yeah. was like stealing all, stealing all of it. And then they came mm -hmm. back outside to get it and it was all gone. Yeah. So it was on like the ledge. So mm -hmm. that, that was the one I didn't actually uh, mem remember that one as well. I felt like, you, you know, when I talked about like, it's a big budget movie and like, they were just going all out. It's like so extra basically. And and the dog breaking the fourth wall is basically like the gauntlet throw down like like oh we're we're having the dog break the fourth wall you know what I mean it's like this is this is how far we're going this is what we're doing I couldn't get the one out of my head from Trading Places when they were like mm -hmm. this is frozen custard mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like just <laughs> that was the one that I always go back to and it was the it actually was oh gosh. A bacon. It was bacon. He goes bacon, as in a bacon and lettuce tomato yeah. sandwich. Mm -hmm. And he just goes up like, really? <laughs> yeah, that that is a classic one. And that also was John Landis. Yeah. So that that's why it was kind of his. Even though Eddie Murphy did it, it's kind of something he uses a lot. What did you think about the humor and the style of the actual comedy. I know before we were focusing more on the romance in the comedy, but I always look at this movie as honestly comedy first. And yes, there's a romance in it versus the traditional rom-com. At least that's how I maximize my enjoyment. 
I don't know if it's my level of uh, maturity or state of mind or what it was, but I laughed a lot rewatching it again. It's just chock full of all the little touches. You know what I mean? Like comedy is about timing. It's about it's about the quick the quick uh, one liners thrown in that you might not notice. Like oh, that when I ordered them to change your diaper, you know, like you you can miss that so fast. And there it's it's just it's just super dense with with. Uh, with nods to here and and little touches there, and if you're paying attention, it's I I feel like it builds up to a a pretty funny movie. And they play it straight, right? Every joke, every actor is is on board with the joke. There, I mean, James Earl Jones, as you said, I ordered it to change your diaper. I, every Eddie Murphy joke, he he is so sincere as Akeem. I think that's a big reason yeah. why all these jokes work. Really mm-hmm. earnest, yep. Yep. yeah. I mean, James Earl Jones is incredibly ridiculous in like the stuff he's saying, and it's it's his performance is almost manic. It's like it's super over the top, but he he's, he's fully invested in it. So wide, like, yeah. When he says like he's like, I know, I do. You know, it's like <laughs> so intense, but it's it's it, they you intense is the word. They're dedicated, you know. They're they're like fully on board with with the comedy Dude, as it was. The lion on the shoulder i was saying i'm like the, it, i feel like any other actor that would look just like completely ridiculous on and james earl jones jones was like so big and like like of course here is the lion on my shoulder with the gigantic gold necklace Nora, you said it earlier though there are so many quotable quotes in this movie and i i was also cracking up on the rewatch because it had been quite some time since I saw it. And just as I mentioned in the introduction, I had never seen the real cut. And there are scenes that I early on that caught me off guard, even like when he's getting bathed. I mean, they were funny, just funny stuff that I didn't even know was in the movie. <laughs> like so many movies, uh, in the eighties, especially really, I guess, John Landis, it's, it's like the random one scene where their breasts in it is some sort of requirement to get the, the, the juvenile males in the theater or something. I, I don't know what it is, but it's like part of his uh, ove to like, show show some nipples just, yep. just for a tiny little bit though. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was the thing in the eighties. Cause you, you know, that you only were able to show nudity starting really in the early seventies. So it's a fairly new permission you have. Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places and mm-hmm. Animal House had had a scene when the uh, John Belushi's up on the ladder and there he's like looking in on the crazy sorority like pillow fight or something ridiculous. I remember when I was watching Trading Places with my wife and they had the scene with Jamie Lee Curtis and she's getting into bed with Louie in a friendly way. It's not actually a, a sexual scene, but I was like, I do not remember this scene because in on TV, right, right. <laughs> like, it's not there. <laughs> it's not there. Yeah, the movie's pretty open about it. It's its characters' um, sexual behavior. It offers them a lot of sexual license too, which I liked. It, it, it's not a particularly a prudish film. They don't moralize um, it at all, really. It's not. It's, yeah, you know. which is great. Which is you know, it's it's you know probably be a very different movie if it was made today, but. Um, yeah, there, there is no kind of moral aspect to it. it it's um, or moralizing, like you said, aspect to it. It's simply, uh, it's simply kind of pleasurable because how else would princes live? Well, we'll see in December, right? 
No, no, no. What I was actually going to say, he, he literally received not only permission, but almost an order from the king to live up his life for the next 40 days and you're coming back and you're getting married. So it was, it was definitely- Going to uh, show your royal oats. Yes, yes. So it was with his blessing, if you will. And yes, KJ, we will see what, what happens in the future. Again, we're really just watching that for the economic structure of Zamunda. But aside from that, maybe we'll pick up a little bit of that. Now, here we are towards the conclusion of the feud with the co-hosts having 12 points and the guests having eight points. But we're not done yet. There is one more bonus question that is open to both teams. And there were six questions. This is worth six points. And if you get it exactly right, that amount of points will be doubled. Okay. So keep this to yourself. If you got to talk amongst yourselves via text or something, go for it. But this, uh, this is what it all comes down to. The category of the bonus question is called the following. In 20 or 30 years, with hard work, maybe you could have a place like this. It's time for a bonus question. Where does Cleo McDowell and his family live? Please do not look it up on the internet. Where do they live? If you get the area, you get the six points. If you get the exact address, you will get 12 points. KJ, I just texted you the answer. You actually text me the answer. Oh, crap. Sorry. <laughs> and Nora and Andy. <laughs> I did? Oh, I no. Didn't look, I didn't <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. Pat Gavin, I think, might be on that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. It's not them. But I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. But you guys, I'll pretend I didn't see it. Yeah, the street name. I mean, they he definitely for sure says like the exact address, basically, on the phone. 80s, 80s phone beige yep. on the wall. So location, six points, exact address, like street address, 12 points. Uh, and just for our audience, Pat Gavin recognized the address as from coming to America. So Can we say it? What's the... Uh... I'm uh, waiting for sorry. I'm waiting for you, uh, both teams to be locked in. Question, Nick: Do you do you get disqualified if your if if the accuracy of of part of your answer is wrong, but like the general okay. area is right? If, if the or is if it the, better I'll, to I'll not put go it this way? The, no, no, no. Guess part. guess fully. Okay. Um, six points is specifically to the area location, and then the double is on the street address. All right, we're, we're locked in then. What if we have the street address, but not the general? Wait, Tom, do you know the general location too? Uh, I think so. I uh, are, are both teams locked in? We are. Locked in. Yes, locked in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tom, you seem extremely confident about this. So let's uh, hear what your team has to say. I, I believe it's 8507 Queens Boulevard. And where is that? Well, it's in Queens. I, I think it is the, well, it's in Queens, um, um, like Queensville Estates or something like okay, that. Okay, I like that. Yeah, let's. Yeah, it's something, yeah. So Should we go yeah, with that? Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm going to write this down because, of course, I have to give you both at the same time here. Where, where'd my pen go? <laughs> I lost my pen. 
You are in front of a computer. No, I need to write it down. <laughs> okay. Tom, repeat it. I said 8507 Queens Boulevard. And we what are we calling it, KJ? The Queensville Estates? Yeah. The Queensville Estates. Yep, yep. I like mm-hmm. that. And team Nora and Andy, what is your answer? All right, we're we're going um 1205 Jackson Avenue, Jamaica Estates, Queens. Oh, that's probably it. I know I know the last part is. Jamaica States. Yeah. I'm nervous about that address, Tom. Is that the McDowell's restaurant? I think that's McDowell's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, is it- so the points go to the guest team of Nora and Andy. They will be getting six points. The correct address was 2432 Derby Avenue Derby. Estates. Uh, I believe, and I didn't fact check mm. it, but I believe you were referring to the address of the McDowell's restaurant. Oh, probably. They say yeah. that a lot more times. Queens Boulevard. Mm. In, at the yeah. Black yeah. Enough Awareness yes. Rally. Because mm. that's, that's like on the main drag, which makes and sense. And then yeah. when they're yeah. telling his dad where to find them, like that one mm. is much more repeated. Mm. Yes. So in the last second here, in the bonus finale question, the guest team has taken this down. It is... 16 to 12 a valiant effort by all participants ah uh, sorry kj very tight race no problem well kj knew it was jamaica states right <laughs> by the beach boy <laughs> <laughs> congratulations again to the guests team and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break to see if there's anything else we want to discuss about this one It's time for Guess That Song, Whistling Edition. I'll whistle a song, and you guess what it is. Here we go.
If you guessed all the small things by Blink-182, you're right! And we're back! It's time for Movie Rand! I mean, I think the, the direction is kind of sloppy in, in a number of times. It's the number of times where it's kind of clear that there's that he's just sort of coasting. Um, like one example of this is in the scene when he goes after Lisa, he being Eddie Murphy's Prince of Keaton, goes after Lisa, and he jumps over the subway, the subway token rail, and kind of chases her down. In that scene, the camera lingers on that that subway, that the the subway entrance, also with two cops in the background, and yet the gun is never fired. We never learn, you know, we, that that doesn't become a, a conflict. The fact that he had to jump jump the rail. Um, and it's okay if you, yeah, I thought it was a weird touch because yeah. you think he would have gotten in trouble. Like why? Yeah, it's like that. There's another one where he tells these two little girls sitting on his porch that he's going to go see Lisa, which has much more of like a nutty professor Eddie Murphy comedy spirit to it, as opposed to this, which that just does seems like a, a moment from a different world. Um, you know, and there's there's a number of moments like that where the, the direction just seems either sloppy or he's coasting. I it, it's hard to hard to say what, but it, it's not and like a neatly made movie. I may be able to give you a little background clarity on this. So when this film was being made, Eddie Murphy pretty much demanded John Landis to be the director, the studio didn't want him. In fact, he actually had some issues. I forget what it was. One of his movies. He had three flops in uh, a row. And I think like he, yeah, he made yeah. Twilight Zone the movie or was one of the. No, and that's what it yeah. was. During making Twilight Zone the movie, I think three people were killed during production. Yeah. So he had some lawsuits and what? he was not necessarily a in a great plane place. crash in that film that yeah. killed a, a pretty big star whose name I remember. And I think two children also. Two yeah. children. Yeah. Yeah. So he had like a few flops. He had some personal strife with the lawsuits and they actually, even though Eddie Murphy like pretty much demanded John Landis cause he just enjoyed working with him in the past. They even got into some like, like serious scuffles, like physical scuffles during the filming of this film. And I think, John Lance was pretty much saying that he didn't want it, nor did he particularly like this movie. <laughs> and he actually wanted when the, I forget if it was DVD or Blu-ray or whatever is like came out, he wanted to do like a director's cut. And they said, no, it's too popular for you to change anything. So I think there might've been some, you know, strife behind the camera, which may bring some of those things to light. I feel like the scene with the little girls at least made a little bit of sense. Cause I feel like there's this ongoing theme of like him being like crazy in that neighborhood, which I feel like like living in the city, like the reaction to him like singing on the way home or like just randomly talking to people and them kind of looking at him like, I, it, it did seem somewhat accurate, but I did have this vision of like when they were filming that scene of him like talking to the little girls of like, that must've just been him doing that to a camera, which must've been pretty odd. Like I had this vision of <laughs> what that must've been what, like to watch him film like right up in the face of it but yeah i it, it seemed odd yeah it's not it doesn't seem like something in this world but it, it seems like a little uh, something geared towards a younger audience and this movie seems to be made for an older audience but occasionally 
it, it's hard to tell. Uh, you know, the, the movie kind of slips out of that because um, the humor generally is I, pretty mature. Yeah. I didn't think the scene with the little girls was out of place. Uh, that never caught me. I mean, it's it's kind of a, like a one-off, but he does a lot of um, showing kind of the the characters in the neighborhood, you know, that the, how close-knit the neighbors are, how everybody knows each other. Uh, like Nora said, when he's um, singing on the way home and everybody's screaming at him to shut up. I found that to be extremely accurate. We, you know, living in Philadelphia, that is what the street would do at that point in night. Um, but uh, two random girls chilling on the stoop in their winter jackets, kind of going, this guy's crazy. I mean, it, it's all just kind of like the random uh, little caricatures, mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah, I, I, it, it seemed like something out of a different, there's moments like this, it seems either out of a different film or it just feels kind of, I, I don't know, I, I kind of lazy at times. Um, so I'm not, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what their conflicts were over. I mean, what would they be arguing over? I think some of it was actually personal. <laughs> um, I, I think some of the things I was reading was saying he had a grudge because he didn't, uh, Eddie Murphy didn't support him at his lawsuits. Like there, there was more to it no, than it's, just it's one of those things, the yeah. film. There, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was more to, and then also paying this, the, the crew and the staff, like, like stuff mm -hmm. like that, just not necessarily production, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I don't think we can conclude a conversation about this movie without talking about the various roles certain actors played. I think oh, you brought this up, Andy, like you've been waiting to talk about this. Do you want to take point on this one? Sure. I mean, uh, they, I, well, as a separate comment, real briefly, I always wonder about movies where at the end they do the roll call and they and they and they one by one show the characters with the actor names. Most most movies don't do it, but some movies do, and I wonder like what why why they're going for that. It's like a little extra nod to all the different actors or something. But um, I liked how they uh, they went through most of the characters that they played and labeled who was in it or who who did it. Um, and uh, Eddie Murphy doing the uh, the old Jewish guy in the barbershop is fantastic. I mean, a lot of the other roles you could tell who it was, and that's great. And they were, but then it was, and it was really entertaining. But that guy, you would really not know. They actually, he, they were. I was reading something about this, and they were saying that he wanted to test how realistic it looked, so he went around the studio saying in in. Eddie Murphy voice with that makeup on. I'm Eddie Murphy, and people did not believe he was Eddie Murphy. <laughs> this is the best joke in the the place about the the spoon. <laughs> that, that actually made me laugh out loud. That's the end. That's the yeah. end, right? Like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I, I do like you know, the, the the argument about boxing as well with him kind of defending. Defending Rocky yeah, Marciano. Yeah. Oh, Joe Lewis did lose to Rocky Marciano. Joe Lewis was 137 years old. He always lied. Frank Sinatra came in here. I talked to Frank Sinatra and I asked him, How old is Joe Lewis? And he said, Joe Lewis, 137 years old. I thought that was great. That was my yes. favorite, <laughs> favorite point. Did you all know that, that this movie was Cuba Gooding Jr.'s first film appearance? I didn't know. Yeah, it was recognized his first, him. But yeah. I didn't know it was his first. Yeah. By the way, when uh, when the 
the the uh, barber is cutting Cuba Gooding Jr.'s hair. His scissors are like four inches oh, above, yeah. above his hair, and he's just talking and cutting, and it's just it's like it's just ridiculous. <laughs> there was actually a cut scene where uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. says he doesn't have enough money, and then Clarence like shaves a bald patch mm-hmm. out of the back of his head, but it got cut. It got cut from the film. Yeah, but that, you know, the, the the barber chair scene was a lot of fun. You you wish you'd had more of that maybe in the in the film. Um, this is the first film where Eddie Murphy really started that trend of playing different characters uh, in his movies, which we all know continued to like Nutty Professor and all of those but days. Yeah, yeah, it's part of what you you did. I mean, he, these are SNL people, right? And that's what you do as an SNL person. And so you have to rotate in the, the, these different character types and jump into those different bodies. Um, it took commitment though, because I mean, uh, they'd be taking a few hours to get makeup and all that just to play those different roles it's interesting like i feel like eddie murphy each of the characters not only it's like the voice is different and but like the posture and that like he like very much like physically embodies like a different person with each one like it's uh in addition to just like I, I mean, he's at the top of his game, like comedy wise. And I do wonder how much of that barbershop scene was actually like written down or did he just like make that up. Uh, but like, it's just like, he's a, he's actually a really good actor. Like, I mean, median, yes, but like he takes on those personas and like you believe that he is whatever he's pretending to be. You sort of wish that his career had I haven't seen the, what is his most recent movie on Netflix? I haven't seen that. Uh, Dolomite. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that film, but. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Yeah. Uh, like Dream Girls. He's fantastic. And it's a real performance yeah. in Dream Girls. You know, it's not yeah. a, a kind of broad comic thing. And you'd, you'd wish that, tra- you know, his transition from these type of roles to something, to, to more roles like that. Um, you know, the way kind of Robin Williams did it. Though I think Eddie Murphy's you know a lot more talented uh you wish that had happened and it's kind of there seems to be a lot of lost opportunity with what happened uh in the 21st century with his career i i think i watched a a video about it talking about how he just had kids and he wanted to because he was his his um his stand-up was pretty raunchy you know and uh a lot of drug stuff a lot of sex stuff and he wanted to like keep it clean for his kids but Honestly, I think it got really boring. I mean, the, the Nutty Professor was like kind of a, a signal for that because all of these characters are really interesting, right? Like Nora said, they're, they're, they're really varied. Uh, they're, and uh, there's a lot of dynamic range kind of that he shows when he plays all these people. And then in the Nutty Professor, it's like fart jokes, you know, the, the whole time. It's, it's like, it's so boring. Uh, and so it's, it's a little bit sad, but. Oh, he may have been trying to do something for his kids, as you said, like in that period of time. Yeah. I mean, there's a really interesting um, meetings in cars, getting coffee. I don't know if you guys have binge watched that on Netflix. It happened to come out when I, I was on maternity leave and, you know, there was a lot of video watching, but he's on an episode of that with Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld. And it's an interesting conversation about like, I think part of it also is that his comedic skills are very rooted in stand-up. And I think he just stopped doing stand-up. And I think that there's like a sharpness that comes from that, that they were talking about, like that is like the honing of the skills, like that, like nothing keeps you sharp like that. And that he was like talking about getting into it 
get but getting back into it because that's really how you like if you want to go back and you want to really be funny no matter what you're trying to do like go do stand up for a bit and like that'll get you like back in fighting shape kind of thing and that was his roots exactly so like mm-hmm. maybe like that's also part of like the evolution of his career of like kind of getting like out of shape almost yeah i i think there's that and i think what you you're, you're talking about andy too is that what's what's so nice about this movie um and you mentioned you mentioned this, and it was the, the the lack of moralizing. There's sort of a uh, the movie is for adults. It's relaxed in that way about those kind of themes, you know, in a way that his his kind of raunchy stand up would be suited for. And so, you know, the, he seems just so relaxed within that environment. And as um, as you start to think of, well, what is this doing or saying for children? And you have to kind of contain, contain your talent in that way, uh, or or direct it towards some sort of, um, you know, direct it. it. It seems like it might reduce what he's capable of doing. But really, what I was looking for with him, and what you see in Dreamgirls, is a, a person who's really playing something that isn't, um, you know, that isn't rooted in. The, the kind of a, a comic style performance that's you know really rooted in kind of a, a tragic self-destruction which is what you know he, he plays in that role he plays this kind of pop singer who goes down the train um, and it's, it's a lovely little performance and you thought you'd get just a ton of the you know a, a lot of opportunity for eddie murphy um after that that people would want people would want to write these kind of complex characters for him for a person who's now, you know, in middle age, who isn't going to be uh, uh, kind of doing this kind of aggressive, raunchy comedy. But, you know, I he never bit, and I, I don't, or maybe nope, the, the roles weren't there, but I really don't know why. Well, today was quite the trivial feud, and I'd like to congratulate once again our esteemed guest team of Nora and Andy, uh, who took down right at the last second uh, this week's challenge. So again, congratulations. And honestly, it was a pleasure having you both on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It was very fun. All right. Uh, KJ, our worldly editor, I'd like to thank him for masterfully crafting these episodes. Also, I'd like to acknowledge IMDb, which is a great resource for movie information. Check out our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com. For more information about us and our episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Join us next time when we discuss KJ's recommendation from Japan in 2007, Maiko Han. I don't know what KJ's getting us into this time. Should be fun. Bye. Ding, 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 ding.